African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the rights to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Well, good morning. Thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa, giving you the African perspective. It's a new week. So once again, at 11 o'clock Central African time, we have African Dialogue, where we look at the biggest stories that are taking place on the African continent. Thank you for joining us on our frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa on DSTV. Remember, we're on Channel 802 on the audio bouquet. Don't forget that if you're joining us outside the country, you can join us on our our app channel africa app which is our mobile app or you can join us on www.channelafrica.co.z political situation especially after the mock swearing in of opposition leader Rayla Odinga a lot of uh, divisions taking place in the country we'll look at that after our news update from Anne Musa In the headlines, it's D-Day for South Africa's ANC as the ruling party's top leadership meets to decide the fate of President Jacob Zuma. Rwanda and UNHCR kicks off a countrywide program of screening all refugees currently in Rwanda. And uh, Tonga declares a state of emergency as it braces for a powerful cyclone threatening to become a Category 5 superstorm. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. It's D-Day for South Africa's ANC as the ruling party's top leadership meets to decide the fate of President Sheikh Zuma. The National Executive Committee will gather at Arene outside the capital Pretoria, reportedly to endorse a decision by the party's National Working Committee to recall Zuma as head of state. This follows a week of behind-the-scenes discussions led by ANC President Cyril Ramaphosa, who had engaged into face-to-face talks with President Zuma to negotiate his voluntary resignation from office. Tsepo Ikaneng reports. Some political observers have described it as a watershed moment for the ANC as the governing party mouths the second recall of the sitting head of state. Whilst details of Zuma's impending exit deal have been kept secret, pressure has been mounting from within the ANC and its alliance partners to recall the president or risk facing a nationwide shutdown led by opposition parties and civil society organizations. The more than 80-member ANC National Executive Committee will meet and decide on the fate of the president, a decision which should be crucial for the political stability of the country 
regarded as one of Africa's economic powerhouses. The Rwandan government, together with the United Nations Refugee Agency, UNHCR, have kicked off the countrywide program of screening all refugees currently in Rwanda. The move will see over 150,000 refugees from the DRC and Burundi issued with electronic identity cards that would allow them to get access on basic needs such as health, banking and employment. Refugees have expressed their appreciation and said the process has been long overdue. This was good news for refugees queuing up in Rwanda's capital, Gigali, for registration. This is a good thing because now I have an identity card. So any village I move to, they can easily identify me. And now at my village, they will recognize me as one of them. Getting a job here is very hard since we didn't have any identifications. Now that we are going to get them, we are hopeful to get jobs. Tonga has declared a state of emergency as the Pacific Island Kingdom braces for a direct hit by a powerful cyclone that's threatening to become a Category 5 superstorm. Severe tropical cyclone Gita has already created havoc in neighboring Samoa and is gathering pace as it approaches. It's already packing gusts of 275 kilometers per hour as it sits off the east coast of the country's most populous island. And finally, Russian authorities say they're considering a number of possible causes for the crash of an airliner outside Moscow. All 71 passengers and crew were killed when the plane came down shortly after takeoff on Sunday. Investigators say the lines of inquiry include bad weather, human error and the plane's technical condition. The BBC's Steve Rosenberg reports. The Saratov Airlines flight had taken off from Moscow's Domodedovo airport with more than 70 people on board. It was bound for Orsk, 900 miles southeast of Moscow in the Ural Mountains. But minutes after takeoff, the plane disappeared from radar. It had crashed near the Russian capital. It's unclear what caused the Antonov 148 jet to fall out of the sky. The Kremlin has ordered an urgent investigation. Emergency teams are still searching for victims of this crash and for clues to what caused it. Recapping the top stories, Ed's D-Day for South Africa's ANC as the ruling party's top leadership meets to decide the fate of President Sheikh Zuma. Rwanda and the UNHCR kicks off a countrywide campaign of screening all refugees currently in Rwanda and Tonga declares a state of emergency as it braces for a powerful cyclone threatening to become a Category 5 superstorm. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective. Guess what? You can now listen to Channel Africa using Silozi, Chinyanja, Kiswahili, Portuguese, French and English, giving you an African perspective. Hi, my name is Tandalun Yenzovo and you are listening to Channel Africa. We love Channel Africa. 
Africa from an African perspective. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Well, thank you for joining us right here on uh, Channel Africa, where we do give you the African perspective. Uh, thank you for joining us on our various platforms. Remember, we're on uh, our shortwave service on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa and on DSTV on Channel 802 uh, on uh, that audio bouquet. Remember, you can also listen to us online on www.channelafrica.co.za. That's www.channelafrica.co.za. Well, today we're going to look at uh, the political divisions after uh, the mock swearing in of opposition leader Rayla Odinga. And uh, we have actually seen a lot of developments that have been taking place uh, in the country. Uh, Kenyan lawyers, which is the latest, uh, will on Thursday hold uh, countrywide demonstrations to protest against the government's disobedience of court orders. This was uh, confirmed by the Law Society of Kenya over the weekend. This follows several instances where the government has defied court orders since the mock swearing-in of opposition leader Rayla Odinga as the country's president. Meanwhile, over the weekend, Odinga told uh, Western envoys uh, based in Kenya... um, uh, to keep off the affairs of the country after 11 diplomats asked him to recognize Uhuru Kenyatta as the duly elected president of the country. Well, this was of the dialogues on the country's political crisis uh, that was in the country. Let's now uh, see, see who we can speak to uh, on the line. We've got Henry Maina joining us already from the regional uh, uh, non-governmental organization, Article 19. He's the regional director there. We also have Nixon Tasakala in our studio, who's our um radio presenter here and also we'll see if we can get one of our correspondents Sarah Kimani there on the line. Let me start the conversation uh, with you Nixon uh, in our studio in terms of looking at the latest of lawyer Miguna Miguna who has uh, been actually deported out of the country after attending Rayla Odinga's uh, inauguration. Tell us a little bit about why that particular issue has actually taken over the narrative of what's happening currently in Kenya. The issue has taken the narrative of what is happening currently in Kenya simply because of the chain of events that happened subsequent to the inauguration of Raila Odinga. And then you have a government <coughs> which in many occasions have disagreed with the courts or has done its own way in dealing with the opposition rather than following the constitutional channels. At the same time, you have the opposition also following its own way rather than following the established law and uh, rules that govern the institution in the country. So Mm -hmm. that in itself brings a challenge because there is no uh, compromise of understanding what is the best interest of the country rather than political maneuvering that currently both sides on the government side and the opposition engage in. A little bit about this issue of the focus of Miguna, Miguna, the lawyer. Do you know? We do we know why there was a clampdown on this particular individual? Well, I think it's the nature of politics. You have to understand the character of the politician themselves. Uh, Miguna, Miguna. I've known him as a lawyer, but also someone who is a sort of a maverick in in his engagement with the government. So that in itself. Uh, government decision when they hold power they know how to use it 
because the government has the monopoly of power. And if they use that position of monopoly to clamp down on him, yeah. it's understandable in a political circle. However, the process that the government used is the one that is questionable. Let me come to you, Henry. Thank you for joining us there on the line. Uh, in terms of the context uh, that we're speaking about, and we know that uh, the main issue right now is the um, deportation of uh, Miguna Miguna. Uh, from your perspective, uh, what do you think is at, at play here? I think it's uh, critical for us to remember the context that mm. there was um, an election disputed election um, and, and after the Supreme Court nullified uh, the first election held uh, on August um, 8, uh, 2017, there was a repeat election which the opposition chose not to participate in. Um, and, and at the heart of all this is the disputed election processes, especially uh, the presidential elections. And, and therefore, any other action that em- emerges either from government and or from the opposition has to be seen uh, from the context of now we have a government um, which claims uh, legality. Uh, it is in office legally because after the second uh, election that was held in October, uh, the Supreme Court affirmed their election. The opposition, on the other hand, is saying that this is not a legitimate government, given that not the whole country voted and the people who turned out were uh, fewer compared to uh, those who had turned out in the disputed election of August. So seeing that, then uh, you have a narrative that is being um, nurtured by the opposition to say Uhuru's government is illegitimate. Uh, and they are the legitimate government and therefore went ahead to swear themselves in uh, on the 30th. But the crackdown that emerged after the swearing in seems to be targeting uh, the media, uh, seems to be targeting uh, other opposition loyalists, including a process um, that uh, on the 30th, the day of um, uh, the swearing in, the government proscribed the National Resistance Movement uh, as, as one of those terrorist uh, groups that are proscribed. That then gave them the leeway to begin the arrests either uh, under the uh, allegations that people committed treason and or were members of this uh, organized uh, criminal group. Mm. Uh, and it is in that uh, process that uh, lawyer Miguna Miguna was forcefully evicted uh, from the country. I would not legally think that that was a deportation uh, because the law in itself does not uh, allow a Kenyan uh, by birth to be stripped of their citizenship. And, and therefore, you cannot be legally deported from your own country. Mm-hmm. You know what? Staying with you, Henry, I, I want to pick that particular issue with you before I, I come back to Nixon and our studio in terms of uh, why you think the government has approached things in which in, in, in this way. We know that there was that shutdown of the three radio stations. We know there's also uh, some reports that uh, uh, some of the members of the opposition party's passports have been taken away from the 
them. And we've seen a crackdown as well on uh, certain individuals within the opposition party. Why didn't the government just approach this from a legal perspective? Rather, did they have to use these kind of uh, oppressive ways of uh, calming things down? Because they do have a, a legitimate reason to actually charge uh, NASA. I think there are two reasons that, um, one, the government does not have credible um, legal arguments uh, to pursue in court. And, and, and therefore, when it assesses its likelihood of winning in court and notices that such chances are dim, then it proposes to approach the issue from extra-legal mechanisms. Uh, and, and, and what we've seen was, for instance, uh, instead of the government making a complaint to the Media Complaints Commission or mm. the, um, the Communications uh, Tribunal, it chose to shut down the media. Similarly, um, the government makes a decision to arrest um, Miguna, Miguna, uh, uh, TJ, Kajuan, um, but they do not uh, want to follow court orders. For instance, Nibuna was only produced in court um, on, on, on the sixth day after his arrest, yet there had been a court order and he had been, uh, the government had been requested to uh, produce him in court earlier, which they didn't. Uh, and, and therefore, we now begin to see that instead of the government pursuing uh, the legal claim that they had that he had committed any crime, we seem to be rushing onto the issues of does he have uh, dual citizenship or not, uh, instead of pursuing the very legal uh, claim that they had used uh, to arrest him earlier on um, and, and in, in ways that did not uh, meet basic legal structures because uh, there was no court order uh, or such warrant produced before he was arrested. Mm-hmm. Neither was he allowed to see his lawyer or family. Um, and, 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 and now... You, you begin to see that the government is using a multiple approach, uh, legal, extra-legal, violent, as it were, to just legitimate itself. Uh, and, and for us, this mm-hmm. is what is a bit troubling, because Kenya was emerging as a country that was moving towards democracy. But these steps begin to show us that we are moving backwards into an authoritarian uh, regime mm-hmm. that cares less about the law uh, when it doesn't suit it. It only cares about the law when it suits it. Well, let me come back to you, Nixon. Do you agree there with um, um, Henry there in terms of the fact that, uh, um, you know, Uhuru Kenyatta doesn't have a legal argument here if he deals with things from a legal perspective in terms of delegitimizing the swearing in of um, uh, Rayla Odinga Where I sit, I feel like there is a legal proposal that he could put in place, especially because of the history of the violence that is associated with politics in um, uh, Kenya. Well, that could be a good argument to advise whether there is a legal argument or not. But you have to look at the context in which these uh, political maneuvering are happening in Kenya. It's purely a set of political theatrics that happen to actually whim the, the, the emotions of the, of the Kenyan people to follow a particular trend and rebel against government. And I think that's where the government is coming 
keen to use extra legal uh, measures to counter the opposition. But quite frankly, in terms of a constitutional processes that are in Kenya, the government don't have any legal argument to adverse in order to counter the, 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 the opposition. However, given that the swearing-in was illegal in its nature, because it rebel against the government, they should have used that channel to demonstrate that these are the legal shortfall that you have committed. These are the legal challenges, uh, the legal procedures that you should have followed. But if you want to look at the the swearing-in text that Raila used is not exactly what is in the constitution. Therefore, legally, he did not break the Kenyan constitution in terms of, but the political message that he has sent through that swearing-in, it's what matters and it is what is at play, what has resulted in the crackdown of the opposition leaders. Well, we're speaking to Nixon Tasakala, our radio presenter, and also he's a migrant ex, uh, expert as well, joining us in our studio. We also have Henry Maina, who's joining us on the line uh, from uh, Kenya. He's uh, from the uh, organization Article 19, the regional director there. It's uh, 11.21 Central African time. Give us your thoughts, what you think about this situation. Remember, you can always interact with us on our various platforms on our Twitter handle at Channel Africa 1 or at uh, African Dialogue. That's where we want to hear from you. Uh, we're going to continue this very interesting uh, a conversation with the gents after this. Channel Africa has good news for you. We have extended our reach. If you have an iPad or iPhone, download the Channel Africa iOS app at itunes.apple.com. If you have a cell phone, then get our Android app at Google Store. Get the latest news from Africa. Get the Channel Africa app. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Good news for listeners in America. You can now listen to Channel Africa by phoning 605-47-1711. So, if you're a Channel Africa listener in America... Simply dial 605-47-1711. Channel Africa, giving you the African perspective. Well, thank you for joining me, Benjamin Mushatama, right here on uh, Channel Africa. Uh, this is African Dialogue. We come to you every Monday to Thursday where we have experts uh, in our studios online uh, on just to look at the big conversations that are taking place on the African continent. Today, we're focusing on Kenya, looking at the continuing divisions in the uh, opposi- opposition uh, uh, party and uh, the relationship with government currently. And we know that uh, uh, the mock swearing in of opposition leader Rayla Odinga sent a very clear message to uh, uh, the uh, current ruling party in the country and uh, uh, Kenyatta's uh, uh, leadership in terms of uh, 
how they view things. And on the ground, you see huge, huge support at that particular inauguration service that was taking place uh, for Rayla Odinga, which shows the the support that the man still has. And uh, I think that's the message that was a threat to government coming to you, uh, Nixon. And that message seems to be the issue that actually has brought things tumbling down. Yeah, I think I remember during the break I was mentioning how the question is more political rather than a legal process that is playing itself here. You have a political legitimacy that is at stake in terms of how the government took over power. But you have the government which have a legal legitimacy which, you know, isn't in power legally so after the 26 October elections of last year. Mm. But with a a much questionable political legitimacy because you have uh, close to 50% of the population not agreeing with it, uh, that is still quantifiable. We cannot say it outrightly that that is the case. Mm. And you have a huge following of the opposition also not feeling part of the political process within their own country. Mm. And that sent signals of a divided political process in Kenya, Mm. which will always have in a way or another to destabilize all other aspects of statisticians and the running, day-to-day running of the country. And, and, you know, let me bring it to you, um, Henry, because from that point of view, I mean, at the weekend we saw 11 ambassadors, including those of the UK and US, calling on. I don't know if we still have Henry there or another line. Let me just check if Henry's there. Henry, can you hear me clearly there? I think uh, we've uh, lost Henry. We'll see if we can try uh, getting back on the line. Let me let me continue with with you, um, Nixon. In terms of uh, you know, on the weekend we heard eleven ambassadors, including those from the UK and the US, calling on uh, uh, Kenyatta's government to respect the rule of law, especially after the closing down of those uh, three radio stations and the fact that they've I- illegally deported one of their own citizens from the country. Despite the fact, it doesn't matter how. Con- controversial the man is, it's still illegal for them to deport him for uh, for his political view to say. And also we heard the same ambassador also on the other side calling for Odinga to, to recognize Kenyatta's government and as, as legitimate. Uh, so you are seeing a, a kind of even a polarized view coming from mediators as well in which direction to take. Because here you have uh, uh, a government that is uh, taking on illegal tactics to really deal with their political f- fights. Uh, but on the other side, you also have another group that say we are supposed to be the legitimate. So we'll just sway ourselves in into uh, our own, uh, in our own, in our own space and in our own grouping. So how do people actually from outside deal with this complexity here? Because it's also complex on how you bring people on the table here. The complexity in the political uh, process in Kenya has a, a political history mm. that comes a long way. Even the role of the diplomatic uh, no, missions in, in Kenya has been one of uh, you know, both sides, uh, building and uh, sometimes also <laughs> uh, finding in some of the political processes sure. uh, leading towards violence. Mm. Um, I remember in 2007, um, 
the American ambassador sided with the opposition to mm-hmm. say to to push Kibaki to sort of uh, you know get into the negotiation <laughs> and so on mm-hmm. you have a Kofi Annan comes in and you know they p- hand pick uh, the the the, the Ocampo six and which were known then mm. the likes of Mudaura uh, likes of Uhuru Kenyatta and mm. uh, and uh, and uh, the then uh, former police commissioner Hussein Ali Hussein mm. and and uh, William Ruto but mm. they leave the main protagonist who <laughs> were at the center of the of the of the political um, conversation, conversation. Sure. Mm which was mainly Raila Odinga and uh, Mwai Kibaki. So that has built a sense of mistrust, mm. both within Kenya and outside Kenya. Now you have an opposition which was supported then under Raila Odinga by the diplomatic you know, missions mm. in Kenya. Mm. But this time you have a different approach. Mm. I remember during the towards the elections last mm. year the all the western diplomats agreed with the preparation of the electoral process that uh, at least the IBC has made critical changes unfortunately three days mm. before the actual election the chairman of the electoral commission came up and said no I cannot guarantee a free and fair mm. elections mm. unless there are changes within the commission. Now, that tells you how much polarizing mm. Mm. the situation can be when you have outside interference mm. mingling the political affairs of a particular country. And I don't agree with the diplomatic missions in Kenya subscribe mm. I mean, prescribing mm. to Kenyan politicians on what they should be, mm. rather than be a ne- neutral observers in what, uh, in helping the s- finding a solution through through the problem, rather than, you know, you cannot say that the government legitimate, mm. therefore negotiate with it. In other words, at that particular moment, you have sided with the government mm. that we mm. recognize this mm. government, mm. but we also recognize you as a opposition leader, therefore come. In the mind of the opposition, mm. you have cited already. Let, let, let me take that to you, Henry, in terms of that, in terms of uh, just also how do mediators come into this? Because already we heard just uh, uh, over the weekend, uh, Raylo Denga actually telling uh, these 11 ambassadors to actually just leave them alone. And it's that issue that uh, uh, Nixon was highlighting, that there is a mistrust when it comes to uh, the diplomatic missions within uh, Kenya. Uh, so also the polarized approach as well that uh, uh, these uh, ambassadors are coming into uh, is also something that uh, they left wanting to a certain point of view because whose side do they take, as was alluded to by Nixon? Henry, are you there? I think we've lost uh, Henry there. We've been trying to speak to him there from Nairobi, Kenya, but we'll just continue uh, the conversation. Let me take a quick break. What do you think of this conversation uh, that we're having today in terms of 
which side would you take in terms of uh, the Uhuru Kenyatta's government or do you think that uh, Raila Odinga, the leader of the opposition party, actually has a legitimate reason to actually be creating uh, and stirring uh, the fires on the ground? Give us your thoughts. Remember, our email address is info at channelafrica.org. That's info at channelafrica.org. Or you can simply uh, send us your SMS and uh, we'll uh, relate it uh, on air on plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero let's take a quick one we'll be back and then we'll get our final points uh, for the discussion and also i think the big question here is what is the way forward especially the fact that now we're seeing uhuru kenyatta's miring the international reputation of his uh, government as well let's take a quick one we'll be back Attention to our listeners. From the 30th of October 2017, the first hour of Africa Digest will not be broadcast on Channel 802 on the DSTV audio bouquet. The 1700-hour show will only be found on shortwave and online on www.channelafrica.co.za. Please note that this only applies to the 1700-hours Central African Time show. The 1900-hour Central African Time program will be back on all the platforms. Channel Africa, giving you an African perspective. Well, uh, thank you for joining us right here. The time right now is 33 minutes past 11 o'clock Central African time. Our focus today is Kenya. It's a developing story every week. It's almost like South Africa where we are with Kenya, where every week there's always a new nuance, always a new layer uh, to the complication of the politics in the country. And uh, we know this uh, week, the latest is the fact that uh, uh, the the law of society of Kenya has actually threatened that they will uh, uh, hold a countrywide demonstration uh, to protest against the government's disobedience of court orders, especially looking at that issue of lawyer Miguna Miguna, who was actually deported out of uh, uh, the country. And uh, we know that there was an issue of switching of three TV stations and there was also a court order that was defied in relation to that. And so many things are happening in the country so far. And I think we've got Henry Maina, who's joining us from Article 19 in Kenya. Just a reminder, we also have Nixon Tasakana, who's joining us in our studio. He's Channel Africa uh, journalist. Come, let, let me come to you, Henry, in terms of the complications, in terms of uh, what's the way forward in terms of uh, the approach to actually uh, find a new way forward for the country. It's complex because definitely the two sides, they don't, I don't see them at any moment uh, sitting on a table and discussing the legitimacy of uh, the last elections. Uh, where do you see things going, Henry? I think it's important uh, that um, the leadership, uh, political, religious, academic uh, leaders from civil society or private sector uh, have to all find a way of pushing the political leaders into a dialogue uh, because uh, if that doesn't happen, then the country would remain um, in, in this complex flux uh, for inordinately too long, uh, and, and that wouldn't help anyone. 
uh, NADA would it help their cause uh, or try and ensure that the struggling citizens um, have some respite uh, in terms of uh, their, just their survival because the economy isn't doing better. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and therefore, I, I think one of the ways out is to begin uh, utilizing alternative centers of leadership so that we are not relying 100% on the political leadership to resolve this impact. Uh, The second part is to try and go back to understanding that, yes, there are conflicts in society, but societies that have emerged strong are those ones that put up mechanisms to deal with those conflicts um, well. And and, and our judiciary has shown that it's willing to steer uh, as towards remaining uh, a, a democratic state, uh, a country that relies on its law, uh, and, and, and therefore the law must apply uh, to all equally. Uh, and, and if that were to be the case, then... Uh, we are struggling with that line there uh, from uh, Kenya there. But Nixon, what do you think of what Harry Henry was uh, speaking about in terms of that approach? While the... I recognize the role of the judiciary in the political process of any country, but the judiciary in itself is a byproduct of negotiated in the political settlement, especially when one look at the history of Kenya from the history of violence in 2007, transition to uh, the formation or the, of the new constitution which put up the, the judicial structure that are currently being used as a vehicle to settle political dispute. But one have to look at beyond the judiciary and say, what is the political problems that had bedveiled Kenya since then that keep recurring and allow this situation to continue rather than focusing or finding a closure and move the country forward. I think that is the critical challenge that both the, the cited by my colleague Maina in Kenya to try to see what is it then that we are lacking in our political body to find a common ground and build a, a prosperous society. And one of the major issues here in Kenya that it cannot shy away from with, with is tribalism. Ethnicity in Kenya is rife. And even if in terms of political appointment, in terms of pot- body politics, in terms of the political culture itself has been of one of ethnic affiliation and ethnic line, mm-hmm. even if Party politics in itself is formed along along poten- uh, along ethnic lines, mm-hmm. so that's still a major challenge. And don't think that even wherever they go, whatever they do, whether the judiciary is able to slay the monster of ethnicity that have ruled over political political processes in Kenya, and that's the challenge. Mm-hmm. If you look at it. Recently, there were appointments of East African legislatures f- to go to the East African uh, Parliament mm. in, in Arusha. Mm. But you have to see the kind of appointment that these political uh, players picked from their own, both on the opposition side and the government side. Mm. The one who was appointed is the Oburu Odinga, who is Raila Odinga's 
eldest brother at the age of 84. Uh-huh. Can you tell me that a young, vibrant Kenya lacks more credible young people who can represent it through the East African Legislative Assembly? Mm-hmm. That is a question. On the side of Jubilee, is Kenyatta's cousin who was chosen to actually go to the East African Legislative Assembly. Mm. So you have a Kenyan political body which is ruled along ethnic affiliations but also political dynasties Mm. from the Odinga dynasties and the Kenyatta dynasty and that's still a challenge. As long as that's still the main point playing out in the body politics of Kenya, we don't see that changing. The hence you see the likes of party who are major critical players but on the fringe of alliances mm. like uh, Yawaipa, which is led by Kalonzo Musyoka, not participating in the swearing in of Raila Odinga. Or going into certain political rallies with a caution you have the likes of Moses Wetangula, who comes from Western Kenya as well, from the Luo community, which mm. is supposedly, supposedly the, the third largest community in Kenya. Also, you know, playing along those uh, ethnic line, but having reservation when it comes. So you have the swearing in of Raila Odinga, yes, commanding you know, a huge following, but becoming more of a ethnic, you know, guarded issue rather than a national mm. issue because of the people who are present, the swearing in, just coming from what one ethnic community. Well, that's where we're going to wrap it up. Uh, very interesting, and I'm sure it's going to be developing. Uh, can we expect anything from, from your uh, news service a little bit later? I know you guys uh, really do zoom into these issues. Uh, anything that we should be looking forward to to your program later, Nixon? Definitely what we're watching is how the the diplomatic service and diplomatic missions in Kenya are going to steer what they call negotiations and pushing okay. the the political in players in Kenya to come to the table. But I, in my own experience with the Kenyan politics mm. and understanding the region too yet. well, I don't see that happening as long as the issues that I've highlighted are still there. Kenya don't have a national political party. The last national political party was there was under one party rule of Kanu under the the retired president Arab Moy Daniel mm. Arab Moy, mm. but the emergence of political parties in the 90s brought with another major challenge, which created the regional political parties, which is more around ethnic affiliation rather than national. Advancing national issues, mm. and uh, that is a challenge. I think Jubilee was trying to create a more national outfit, but it seems <laughs> that is not forthcoming. Mm. Given the fact that you find that the Kikuyus mm. and the Kalenjins who are more dominant in mm. that political party, and then all other, uh, you know, ethnic group coming on the fringe mm. of that political party. 
Well, thank you so much, Nixon, for giving us your time. Really appreciate your knowledge and your expertise. That's Nixon Tasakana. And also we were speaking to Henry Maina, who is the regional director for Article 19 there. I would struggle with that line there, but uh, uh, very interesting insights uh, that we got briefly from Henry there. But uh, let's uh, take a quick break, and then when we come back, we'll get our business news, and uh, also we'll get our uh, sports. Uh, What are your thoughts as well? Remember, you can interact with us on our email address info at channelafrica.org remember we have our twitter handle at african dialogue or at channel africa one it's the numeric end there at the end there that's at channel africa one uh, that's the number one at the end of channel africa 